Welcome in to the Yachts and Audibles podcast. Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on this edition of the Monday Mailbag, week four of the college football season. And we've arrived at what's truly is this a this feels like a bigger week than week two at Texas Tech, which I don't think made any sense a month ago, but here we are. Is, is, do you guys agree with that? Like let's open the mailbag with our own question. Is this the big is this a bigger game than than week two at Matt Prem asks, um, <laughs> I, I think, it, I think, it, I mean, it's in conference. So a loss here hurts more, right? And we yes. talked about what I think uh, a successful season means would be getting to the conference championship. If you lose your first conference game, you, you put yourself in a hole. So there's that. Um, there's just a lot more attention. I mean, there's definitely way more attention around it than a game in Lubbock. And on, I mean, it's, I agree, Matt. It's it's strange we're saying this. None of us predicted this. I think going into the season, I guess we'll show our cards here. I think we were all like, they're going to win four games yeah. at most, maybe five. The fact that we're here where Colorado's already won three and and look certainly like they're going to win more than that, and I would imagine they'll win multiple games in conference play. Like, kudos, hat tip there. Um, but, yeah, this game, I agree. This is, this is bigger than the Tech game. It probably is on paper. Um, it doesn't yes. feel like it yet for me. Um, I don't, I'm not sure why it just doesn't feel like it on this Monday as compared to the Texas tech Monday. Maybe it's because, um, I had to travel and that makes it a much bigger week for me in general is like getting out and getting on a plane and traveling for, for a game. But, um, it is definitely on paper. Like it's going to be a whole media circus. It'll be fun to see who shows up in the Austin press box on Saturday. Um, I just, yeah, I mean, credit to Dion, like Eric said, but. Um, as of now, as of what is it, nine forty-seven in the morning on Monday, it doesn't feel like it yet. I, I think I could tell you why, Jared. Uh, you feel that I'm way here. because it feels everything around this game that's exciting that's, it, that makes it big isn't actually on the field. It's the Deion Sanders person, you know, persona. It's the just hype machine that we consistently see media-wise with Colorado football. Um, it's the trash talk that we've seen. It's waiting for, are they going to go after what Dan Lanning said, you know, in media day for Oregon back in August, it doesn't feel like, I don't think Texas tech is worse than Colorado. I think they would win that game if they played head to head against uh, the, the buffs. I, I think Texas tech is a better team. I just think all the stuff around this game is what makes it feel bigger. That's a good point, Matt. I mean, cause Oregon is, I, I'm not, maybe I'm not surprised in totality, but they're three score favorites in this game. Yeah. And they were, I think, three point favorites. Had, or four, seven, and a half. four and a half. Four and a half close. I guess it was seven to start the week, but still, th- this game is perceived to be a little bit more lopsided. And part of that's the Otson factor, but that's a good point, Matt. Yeah. The on field stuff is, is, is maybe just a little different. Yeah. All right. Let's, let's go into the, the actual mailbag after Matt, at Matt Prem got his question in early. Very good question from Matt Prem. I think a longtime listener <laughs> of the podcast. Uh, all right, we're gonna op- so we're gonna open the real man bag from an actual yes. longtime listener, long frequent question asker at Robbie Parnes. Thought this is a good place to start. This is a non-conference review. He has four items. I figured we can just kind of go around in a circle um, with each. So the first one, one thing that has surprised you, <clears throat> and I actually want to start with something we talked about post pod on Saturday that I thought has really stood out that I know um, the two of us or the three of us were all pretty intrigued with too, which is the cornerback rotation, which is, uh, I think going into the season, Jared, you can correct me. I think you, did you have Quez and, and Kyrie as the starting corners in the projected depth chart? I did. Yeah. I would have too, if I was in charge of the defensive side and yet it's very much not Quez. It's very much not Dante Manning. And it's very much been Jaleel Florence and Kyrie the last two weeks. And the snap counts are pretty significant. 89 snaps for Jaleel the last two weeks, 80 for Kyrie, uh, I think 36 for Dante and 34 for Quez. And Quez played seven on Saturday against Hawaii, really only played towards the end of the game. That has surprised me. Um, And there are certainly other options to choose from in terms of what has surprised you through three games. But uh, the Jaleel Florence, I guess, emergence and the fact that he's played really, really well, um, that is something that I maybe didn't anticipate in part because we didn't get to check out a whole lot of practice in the, sp- in the spring and fall. He was cross-training. Is he going to play more nickel, this and that? No, he's going to be one of your corners. And through the last two weeks, he's actually going to be the corner that plays the most. So that, to me, 
is, is my candidate. I know there are other things that you guys can pick from that are probably equally or, or more surprising, but that's something I wanted to touch on that, that really stood out over the last couple of weeks. That's a good, that's a good one. Um, I actually like hadn't really thought of that, but I think that is one of like the most surprising things about this defense um, for me. And maybe I'm stealing yours, Matt, but I'm most surprised about how many freshmen are playing true freshmen, not redshirt freshmen, but true freshmen, uh, especially on the defensive end. Like, you know, we hypothesized that Mateo Uyunglele was going to play this year, and he has. And that's not really a surprise. But when you get into the fact that, like, Blake Purchase and Tatum Tuioti on the defensive front are, like, the second or third guys off the bench and have specific downs where they're seen all the time through three games this year, like, that's a surprise, um, considering how – one, you didn't really know who Blake Purchase was because he didn't enroll into fall camp. So that was always kind of like a question mark of like, okay, A, what position does he play? B, how does Oregon think they can use him and all these other ideas? And then C, it's like he had this incredible ratings discrepancy on his 24-7 sports profile. His composite score had him as a four-star, but like in the low 200s. And then his top 247 ranking, our own ranking, which was seemingly correct, no surprises, but it was like a top 100 prospect. Um, so uh, like you're not a hundred percent sure you trust you guys that, that work for 24 seven, but you're not hundred percent sure how good he is. And then he's out here and I'm not saying he's like the second coming of Lawrence Taylor or anything like that, but he's out there, he's playing, he's involved on nearly single every or nearly every single pass down. And he's showcasing his talents. He's showcasing that like in two or three years, he could be, a guy who Oregon hasn't had in a bit in a really good outside linebacker role, not a defensive end or not an edge rusher, but a really good outside linebacker. And then basically the same goes with Tatum Tuioti. Uh, we had Brandon Huffman on the podcast. I know we've talked about it on this podcast many a times, but he basically said if his last name wasn't Tuioti and he didn't play high school football in Nebraska and, and Oregon, he would be a bigger name. And he's proven that so far this season. Like he's on the field. He's he plays a good amount. I'm trying to look at how many times he played this past game against Hawaii. Uh 20 snaps. I mean, for example, Casey Rogers played 20 snaps. Popo yep. Amavai played 20, 21 snaps. Brian Addison played 20 snaps. Dante Manning played like he's how many playing. did Mace Funa play? For example, Mace Funa would be a good one to compare oh, to because he played the same seven. spot. Yeah. So he's um, already outpacing, super- he's already outpacing yeah. Mace. That right. would be a surprising and, one on the other end that he doesn't play. Right. Yeah, that, that he doesn't play. Although when you watch the games, you see why. You can kind of see why. You, see why. you can kind of see why. And the other thing about Tatum is that during fall camp, he was hurt. Mm-hmm. And it didn't look great. You know, you saw him on crutches and you're like, hmm, well, there goes somebody who's probably going to be out a couple weeks. And then miraculously, somehow he comes back. And, you know, he's still wearing a leg brace when he plays, but um, his energy, his enthusiasm on the field, I mean, he's clearly a coach's kid. He wraps up well. He makes good, sound, fundamental tackles. Like, he's participating. And I guess the whole overarching theme of this is, like, no real freshman last year played except for Josh Connerly and Jordan James. It's like Dan has always been quoted, like, hey, if you're old enough or if you're good enough, you're old enough. That just wasn't really true last season. But then Dan, after the Texas Tech game, was like, yeah, no, everybody sucked last year. So these guys are much better. So we're going to play the good guys. And it's like, you're, 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 paraphr- you're, you're paraphrasing. I'm paraphrasing. I'm adding, adding my touch on it. But Dan was like, look, the, the freshmen last year just weren't good enough to play. Yeah. Now this year, they got a bunch of dudes who are good enough to play. Um, and it's exciting now, and it's going to be exciting in the long term if people can can look past like you know next week, which is a, is troublesome to do on this fan base. Um, I think if we're just sticking with a defensive theme here, since you both you both went primarily defense, you don't have to. I don't have to, but I I would have to say a I, Jared took a little bit of my thunder. I would not have predicted that Mateo would have outsnapped, even if it's by one snap, Jordan Birch uh, at the beginning of the season. Um, Birch has 82 total snaps. Mateo has 83. The fact that they're equals is mind-boggling to me. Um, I figured Mateo was going to get in and play every single game, but he wouldn't play this much. And then, like Jared said, with the other guys at that same position playing. Um, I would also throw out Bryce Betcher being – Mm-hmm. More than just a 
hey, it's a Eugene area kid. He's on special teams. Look at him. He's, you know, a special teams ace. Like, he's legitimately the highest graded PFF linebacker Oregon has among its main group, um, which is surprising. And he's got his faults, no doubt about it. But, like, he's playing. He's making an impact. And it's become more than just, uh, hey, look at this two-way star that plays for the baseball team and also is a special teams ace for Oregon. Like he's now one of Oregon's better linebackers. Um, I would also bring up Jalil Florence um, played a little bit week one. And then the last two weeks to your guys's point about bridges, like Jalil's basically taken all of bridges and Manning's snaps. Um, and they're getting the scraps. Uh, they're both playing, but it's very clear through three games that the secondary has Ty Sheep Johnson, who leads the team in total snaps by a lot, 160. Yeah. Uh, and then Kyrie and, and, and Jalil Florence are your corners. And then Evan Williams, uh, Brian Addison, and Steve Stevens are kind of rotating onto the field depending upon matchups, depending on down and distance and situational football. Um, it Florence has kind of very quickly, very quietly ascended into that number two spot. And it feels very much like this is his position. And now it's going to take a lot for a Bridges or a Dante Manning um, to surpass him. And then I, I think if I wanted to throw offensively out there on the offensive side, like Gary Bryant Jr. being probably Oregon's number two receiver, um, the snap counts at least show that it's production. Is, it doesn't. Um, Tez is probably the number two, but Gary plays a lot more than Tez does. And uh, I, we all knew Gary was going to be a good player, but I don't, a lot of the focus felt like, hey, it's probably going to be Tez. If it's not going to be Tez, it's probably going to be Treshawn. And it said it's it's Gary. Well, I guess a bonus offensive one for me is the Patrick Herbert impact and the fact that if you look at pro football focus, and again, it's not the end of all or be of all. Um, like I kind of said that wrong. <laughs> he is the better of the two tight ends between he and Terrence Ferguson. And the thing that surprised me even going into this last game was that, you know, kind of the discourse around those two players has been Terrence Ferguson is the pass catcher, Patrick Herbert's the blocker. And if you looked at PFF grades going into Hawaii, it was actually inverted. And now if you look at it, Right now, it's it's pretty clear they think Patrick has just outplayed Terrence through three games and still not a ton of tight end production, um, but I think he's played really, really well. So that's just a bonus offensive one I'll toss out. Uh, we, I realize we spent 10 minutes on the first of these four, so for, we might want to go more rapid mm-hmm. fire for the rest. Um, one disappointment so far, Robbie asks. Uh, I, I'll make mine quick. Run game, primarily interior run game. I think it was a little bit better on Saturday. Obviously, opposition plays a role into that. Texas Tech's strength of its defense was its two interior defensive linemen. Hawaii uh, held up better than they maybe were expected to because we thought this was going to be a game Oregon would run for like a 1,000 yards maybe. That's an exaggeration. Um, But there's just some concerns there for me. And I don't know if Colorado's defensive front is quite good enough to exploit all of that. But um, especially running off guard it has not been quite as good mm-hmm. when they've when they've had the most success it seems like it's when they've had pitches out you know off the tackle so that's a spot where i think you are probably a little disappointed so far but i certainly don't feel like this is an area there that you're you're feeling like it's hopeless either i mean we talked going into the season i said it might take some time for the offensive line to click it has not fully clicked yet but i would not write these guys off by any means but that's something that i think has been a little worrisome through three not a not a lot to really be disappointed by through three games so far this season. Um, but I agree with Eric. I think the interior run game has been kind of interesting. Uh, it's clicked at points. It hasn't clicked at points. Uh, the other disappointment, I guess, that I have, it's not really a disappointment, but it's just something interesting, is like outside counters against Oregon's defense. They have a hard time mm-hmm. setting the edge against opposing mm-hmm. offensive linemen. And that's how Hawaii got their yards on the ground like they did. So just something to keep an eye on. Penalties for me. Yeah. I mean the the, mm-hmm. the sloppiness of football. Uh, it 
it's one thing if Oregon is going to get called for a holding penalty because they're up against a defensive end that's really good, and you're just doing everything you can to prevent a sack. It's another thing if you're creating false start penalties or if you're hitting the quarterback clearly late uh, after he releases the football. Um, these are mistakes. If you're offsides lining up in the neutral zone, that results in, a, it results in a second attempt at a field goal. Um, those are things that shouldn't happen. Those are correctable mistakes, and they haven't been fixed in two weeks uh, straight now. And uh, that has to get fixed because you're going to play a team like a Washington in a couple of weeks. Maybe it's Colorado this weekend that is athletically enough, that's talented enough, that if you continue to give them extra opportunities, it will cost you a game. And so far it hasn't. Um, it almost did at Texas Tech. Uh, but if it doesn't get fixed soon, um, as Dan said, we're going to see some guys all of a sudden not play. One thing you're most excited to see the rest of the season We've started to see – I know people were critical of the play calling offensively against Texas Tech, and I think that there may be something to it, but I didn't have too much of an issue. Against Hawaii, we started to see some kind of fun stuff. There's some a lot of creativity. I think it was um, Yogi Roth on the call who said it was a blend of all the places that, that Will Stein had been. You can kind of see it. There's a lot of different formations. I, I, I frankly came away watching it again, loving the tight end usage and just the way that they – a couple of times lined up three tight ends to one side and maybe had one tight end come in motion as a lead blocker and just the misdirection of some of the run plays. And you saw those for the big gainers with no Whittington off to the left. So there's some fun stuff we saw there. The end around with Kenyon Sadiq wasn't mm -hmm. something we'd seen so far this year. Not that that's a super unusual play. Um, some of the stuff we saw in terms of just the route combinations going downfield. I did have somebody who's a friend of mine who watched a lot of college football who thinks they need to run um, more deep posts. I don't know if we all agree on that or not, but that was someone's uh, cr cr minor criticism of the play calling. Regardless, uh, I think the offense has shown some really kind of fun things the last couple of weeks, and, and I'm excited to see what that looks like going forward, especially this week, um, you know, because you know Colorado is going to throw everything they have at Oregon, and, and you expect Oregon to, to do the same. I'm excited to see if this defense is any good. There you go. Um, you know, there's going to be a lot of opportunities to showcase that. I personally think that they're pretty good. I've been saying this all along. I like their upgrades. I like the guys that they brought in. Through three games, you now see why I like these upgrades because they all, all are uh, all are performing quite well. Evan Williams, Tysheem Johnson, Kyrie Jackson, good players. Um, I'm just interested to see what they do and it starts with Colorado and Shador Sanders who's quite a good quarterback and you know they did very well against Y um held Shager to whatever it was like under 200 yards passing which was incredible considering that he throws the ball 44 times a night and uh averages like 320 yards to the air so that's I guess what I'm most excited to see is is this defense any good um, to Eric's point about the offense, if you have complaints, I think you're just complaining about nothing or you're just complaining to complain because yeah. they're second in the country in points. They're fourth in the country in yards per game and they're seventh in the country in yards per play. Um, what more do you want? I know, I know they haven't played two great more teams. Posts. More deep posts, <laughs> apparently. More deep posts. They need them. Um, I, I, I know you want, you know, they haven't played the best teams in the country. You know, they only played one that's really good, but the offense is filthy. It's loaded. Uh, I, I guess Bo Nix has missed on a couple deep shots the last couple games that he's hit on last season, but we're really, we're really like searching here to complain about the offense. So I wanted to point that out. Um, I'm with Jared. I, I think it's the defense and, to not give the same answer uh, in detail, I'll, I'll flip it and say I'm I'm just excited to see like where this team could could peak at and how good they could be because offensively they're a juggernaut. Um, defensively, they've shown some things that they could be pretty darn good. They've had some mishaps as well, um, but they're playing like a top ten team. They are a top ten team. I don't think they're even close yet to playing their best football. 
And I just am excited to see what that becomes, what that looks like um, when guys get established into their roles, develop, you know, guys develop a little bit through the seasoning of just playing games. Um, I think this team could be pretty special. Biggest unknown. And for this, I basically just had the answer you guys gave, which was the defense. And I, I said in particular, the, the back two levels, linebackers, defensive backs. I just want to see it against better competition. Defensive line, I'm not too concerned with. I think they're really good. Um, I, by the way, I don't know if we'll get to it throughout. I just wanted to point out, I thought the linebackers played really, really well on Saturday on rewatch. Um, PFF mm -hmm. had them at no missed tackles. This was Jeff Boss's highest rated PFF game so far in his career. Um, but you watch them fly around and they were several guys that were impactful behind the line of scrimmage tubes, but I want to see it against better competition. So I, that group and then the secondary I'm, I'm curious about, cause you know, the secondary is going to be tested week in and week out in this conference. Uh, my biggest unknown is what Oregon's offensive line looks like against a good defensive line and specifically Braylon Trice and Washington. And when Josh Connerly gets challenged, I'm just interested to see it. I haven't seen it yet. And there are, Points and rewatches of every game where it's like, mm, that didn't look great along the offensive line. And the offensive line is hard. Sometimes it's it's the most obvious position, more or less, when somebody messes up because it usually results in a negative play. So it's really easy to nitpick an offensive line, which sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. But I'm just interested. I don't feel like they've played really good competition yet. Um, they allowed the one sack to Texas Tech, which was great. That's the best competition they've played. Um, and that's a pretty good defensive line. But, you know, USC and Washington and Oregon State, those are going to be some good offensive lines. And I'm just interested to see what it looks like. And, you know, Nashad Strother probably coming back soon enough. Maybe Junior Angelau gets to full health and puts his name in the competition. So maybe an offensive line rotation is something that's unknown as well. But I'm just looking forward to that. I think – I don't think we're going to see it this week, but it's when Oregon plays an elite team, how do they, how do they stack up? And there's a lot of them in the PAC 12. Um, USC is clearly, I think still the best team in the conference. Washington is just absolutely awesome. electric. Yes, be the they best are team in the conference too. Yep. Yes. Yep. I was going to say like, if, if it's not, if it's not wash, if it's not USC, Washington is nipping right there. Um, I have Oregon higher than Washington in my power rankings on duckterritory.com, but like I, that might be a little bit of my bias going. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> no, no offense. I just think Washington is yeah. so good this year. I mean, they're off, their offense is just tremendous, but they haven't played anybody yet either. Um, but, so that's yeah. kind of been, that's been or, my, my point. And that's neither. And the, well, the one yeah. team that the one team that uh, that Washington did play also had uh, more distractions than just about any college football program in the country could oh, have yeah. going yes. into a game. Mel so Tucker that, getting that, suspended. That that couldn't be easy to. That couldn't yeah. be. Uh, I doubt that team was focused. As um, you, Utah is very good. Um, their quarterback play is suspect because Cam Rising's not playing, but everything else is is solid. Um, UCLA is is solid. Oregon State is good. Um, what is Oregon going to look like primarily though against USC and Washington? That's the unknown. Mm -hmm. Like if they're going to win the league, they need to win one of those games, if not both. And I don't know if you can confidently say that's going to happen right now. All right. Second one from at Jamison white 16. This is a multiple choice answer. So we're not going to have a uh, 22 minutes spent on it. Um, We'll go around the circle here, though. What are you happiest with? And he gave us three choices. A, the wide receiver depth. Tez, Gary, and Troy have been impressive, and Treshawn is coming along. B, the play of the secondary. Solid coverage and tackling on the edge with multiple hats. C, plus five turnover ratio with zero turnovers lost. Hashtag got some audibles. Thanks for the question, Jameson. Um, good choices. I'll, I'll, I'll pick C, even though I'm not super surprised with it, but just in general, uh, that's how you main, that's how you win football games. And to Matt's point earlier about how they compete against elite teams, that's how you contend and try to beat elite teams is by forcing turnovers and not giving it away. Oregon was pretty good at protecting the football last year, decent at forcing turnovers. I think this year's team uh, looks to be really good there too. And, and to me, those are markings of of teams that can that can compete for conference championships and, and more. So I'll I'll go with C because I think uh, I think that's impressive so far. 
it's uh it's b for me I mean, that was the question going into the year that still honestly remains a question um just because yep. i think it's like a a false hope type of deal for for me it's like well they were great against hawaii and then who knows how they're going to be against colorado but uh, they're on an upward trend i have to say um also the the just the tackling across the board has been so much better there's been there's been missed tackles everybody's going to have missed tackles but you know, Tyshim Johnson, Kyrie Jackson, uh, Evan Williams, for the most part, he's had a couple ones, but you know, he's a game behind in terms of his development this year. Like these, the, the secondary just isn't really missing tackles, and it's very nice to see, especially after last season. The linebackers have done a much better job. Um, the defensive line still has some of those things to work on, but again, it's tough to to tackle a quarterback who's actually mobile. Um, but it's clearly B for me because that was the biggest question going in the year. And now that, that now there is some confidence behind it and what they can do for the rest of the year. So clearly B. I agree with Jared. It's clearly B. A, we knew Oregon had Troy Franklin was going to be one of the best receivers in the conference, if not the country. And we felt confident that the guys that they added would provide the depth that is mentioned. Um, I agree with, with Eric on C being important, but they did this last year. So it's not a surprise. Yeah, no me. surprise. Yeah, they, they took care of the ball, and while their create creating of turnovers wasn't maybe as high of a clip as it is right now, their ball security was the same. Like So nothing has changed from a ball security standpoint on Oregon's side. So it's B, like what Jared said. We, we thought there would be concerns with the secondary. Their tackling has greatly improved at that position as, as well as everywhere on, on defense. Um, and it feels like you know they've gotten – They've added some guys that have enhanced the room. So, and like to Jared's point, we we will find out a lot about this group. Maybe this week. I mean, Colorado has a bunch of good receivers. They've got a really good quarterback. Um, and if we don't find out this week, we're going to find out in about three weeks when they go to up to UW and play that offense that has like three guys averaging ninety yards a, a game receiving third one and it's going to be slightly redundant so let's try to keep these quick again because i'm trying to make sure the listeners aren't here for their entire uh evening or whenever they're listening but from now hey man advertisers we got ads to sell so if you want to be here all day let's let's do it let's go for it we can do it i would uh <laughs> i would be more encouraged if we saw a piece of the ad revenue to to care about the ads um <laughs> nobody's going to hear that who will matter but we've been talking about it and it's something that still chaps me a little bit okay Third, <laughs> third run that's a thing i don't want to get into it um i don't want to do my josh payton you're slowly into talking yourself into it like you keep going <laughs> on know, and on and on no, about it i know none of the people that are actually matter in this are going to be listening because they just don't listen all right third one from at nash duckaneer you know i'm right jared <laughs> who are the most surprising players in your opinion so far this season from an on-field performance standpoint pick one player from offense one from defense Nash has Ty Thompson on offense and Bryce Betcher on defense. Um, again, I think we can keep this relatively quick because we've already covered some of our biggest surprises from Robbie's question to open the show. Um, offensively, he says one. I picked two for each side of the ball. Um, I guess I'm cheating, but just wanted to kind of spread the wealth here. Uh, I mentioned Patrick Herbert earlier. I think that's somebody who's who's really performed well, and it's been encouraging. We had questions about tight end depth. I know Jared kind of led the charge all offseason. Herbert has stepped up. He's played very well. I'll be curious to see what kind of an impact the tight ends have the rest of the year in the offense, especially from a pass game perspective, since that's been, I would say, maybe a little bit less than I'd anticipated. Um, they're still running a lot of routes. The ball just hasn't gotten there often. And I, I wrote down Jordan James um, just because that role is bigger than I anticipated. Um, and again, I think it's Actually, it was kind of notable going back and looking at snap counts. I remember I, I, I mentioned it towards the end of Saturday's postgame show. Um, I was curious to see Jordan James actually only played, I think it was 11 snaps as of Sunday. I know they go back and edit those at times and he carried it set on seven of them. Um, so he isn't playing nearly as much as, as much as the other two. Cause I think it was like 32 for Bucky and 23 for, for Noah. Um, yep. but they're, they're using those three guys a lot. And Jordan's been very impressive. Five touchdowns in three games that stands out. Um, defensively, I also agree. Bryce Betcher. I mean, that's, that easy answer for just biggest surprise for me from a personnel perspective. And then I brought up Jaleel Florence earlier in the show. I wanted to bring him up again. I think he's played really, really well. And I mean, shoot, the fact that he has essentially solidified one of the starting cornerback spots out um, through two games was not something I had, I'd really anticipated would happen. I wasn't sure if he was going to be more than like your 
fourth or fifth corner this year. Maybe he was your second nickel and he was going to get out there in certain game situations and play a lot. Um, I thought he would be more like the Nico Reed role, perhaps. Instead, he is, without question, one of your more valuable defensive backs. He is, without question. Excuse me, I had to take a drink of my coffee. Um, I'm just going to do one and one I'm going to follow the rules here. Uh, for me on defense, it was Jeffrey Bassa. I think he's been the most surprised player to me because, uh, look, man, there were, there were moments last year where it was really bad with him on defense, and then there wasn't a clear substitute for him. Um, he Oregon had to play him. It's not like they could have put in Justin Flo or Jackson LaDuke. That would have been even worse in their defense last year. Um, the way that he's stepped up and become a leader, A, become a leader on the defense, and B, led by how he plays has been just – Really impressive and very surprising. And not surprising because he's not the type of person who can do that because he clearly is. You listen to him, you talk to him. He's clearly a guy who's who's going to become a natural leader who's who has the, the great football mind to go in and figure out how to better himself every day. But, yeah, he just wasn't on my list of guys that I was super intrigued about going into the year. He added the weight. Um, he's became a, a steady tackler. He's done very well on, on his pass rushes when he's asked um, I'm just really surprised by it because you know, Oregon's linebacker core through three games has looked really good. And that's including Bryce and Jamal Hill and Devin Jackson and, and the occasional Connor Soley. But, you know, Jeffrey Bossa is leading that group, and I think that they've done really well. Um, offensively, probably Poncho. I Pony Lalu. Damn it. Like, uh, sorry, Matt. I'll, I'll change it. You're good. You're good. No, 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 no. You got it. No, no, no. No, you got it's it. It's okay. It's okay. I'm going to switch. I'm going to go Gary Bryant. Um, I just didn't know what to make of him. Like he had a, a great outstanding season in 2021 with USC. Um, you know, after, that was after Drake London went down with an injury, I think it was. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he became like the number one or the number two receiver on USC and did really well and caught all these deep passes. And you're like, oh, this guy could be a real player here. And then in 2022, he just doesn't get the same amount of playing time. He enters transfer portal. It's kind of like a bag of tricks. It's like, what are you going to get? I don't know. And then he just comes out here and has done incredibly well for being the Ducks' second, third, sometimes even fourth option, depending on the game plan. Uh, he's a great run blocker. Um, he plays the second most snaps, like Matt mentioned earlier. He plays a significantly significant more amount of snaps than Tez Johnson does, which I think is kind of interesting. Um, maybe it's because he's the third option and they don't want to get Tez into injury trouble or anything like that. But I think it's I'm, uh, I'm just I was just gonna say, I think it's because they're in twelve a lot and they take the slot receiver yeah. off. Yeah. And there you go. They feel confident with him being that second wide receiver because they could have easily just had Tez kind of learn both positions and kind of sub them in or out. But yeah, I'm just just surprised by how good he has been. Um he's been good in the open field. I don't think he's dropped a ball yet this year, knock on wood. Um, so I, I just kind of goes to the the multiple choice where it's ABC, the wide receiver depth A, which was the wrong answer. Like that's this is a good wide receiver room, and Gary Bryant definitely adds to that. Well, thanks, Jared, for letting me have Poncho. Uh, oh, of course, that's your guy. I, I think that's the uh, the the one on offense. Um, if there was going to be a freshman that would play, I think we were all going to say it was going to be a redshirt freshman. Um, probably like a Dave Ayuli or did Dave Dave didn't redshirt last year? I don't think he's Can't technically remember. a sophomore. He played just over yeah. the minimum, but yeah, yeah, he played five or six. But it would be someone like that, someone that arrived last year, didn't play a lot, and moved up through development. Poncho has is the sixth offensive lineman um, for this group, and he plays multiple positions. Uh, you look at his snap count next to Dave Ayuli, and there's 17 snaps difference between the two that's pretty substantial for a backup offensive lineman um he gives you position versatility it feels a lot like to an extent jackson powers johnson in his freshman year um he could play a lot of positions if a guy gets hurt at this position he'll come in here if a guy needs to take a break here he comes in here um he gives you that position versatility and now i don't know if anyone really sat here when he signed with Oregon and said, yes, that's going to be a guy that's going to play right away. Um, mm -hmm. I think Ty is a good pick, um, but it's his third year in the system. He was a high-profile recruit. Greg Biggins, when he signed with Oregon, came on this podcast and said he was viewed as a five-star at a time 
because of his potential to become a really good quarterback, not because of his skill set at that exact moment. And we're starting to, it looks like, maybe it's early to say this, but we're starting to see that potential materialize uh, a little bit for um, for Oregon. So I, I, I guess defensively, to make this really easy, it's got to be better, like you said, Eric. Um, yeah, there's, I agree. There's no one else that really screams like he does, but it's him. It's a really cool story for several reasons. Yeah. We, we probably mentioned them all many times, and those diehard listeners know the story, but it's it's still a cool one. And, and even to see it three straight weeks, him to make big plays and to make impacts, been fun. Go read Jared's yep. pro, uh, go read Jared's uh, feature story on on uh, on Bryce. It's on. I think it's still your pinned tweet, correct? It's my pinned tweet. It's a damn good story. Yeah, go read it. You should uh, you should tweet it again. I know it's your pinned, but you should you should tweet it again at some point this week. Leading up to the game. As long as he makes a play, man. That's what I do. It. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll finish up the second half of this mailbag. Welcome back to the Autzen Audibles podcast. Three questions in. A couple more to go, which I feel like will be around this coming weekend's game. The fifth one will be, this one is a little bit more big picture, but I thought it was important to get in, and I think we've touched on it a little bit already, but this is from at UOLife84457. Have you seen enough overall improvement in the Ducks D from last year to this year? If not, what needs to continue to improve to legitimately be a league championship or playoff team moving forward? Hashtag and Audibles. I've seen traces, is what I'll say. I've seen signs of things that I really, really like to the point we've made earlier and why I think this was some of our pick for the unknown or thing we were most excited to learn about for, for the three of us. They haven't been tested by the pass offenses quite yet that will tell us the whole story on the back end. Um, I'm confident the defensive front is better. I, I, there's no doubt in my mind about that. Uh, it's basically the same guys from last year, plus adding Popo, Jordan Birch, adding some young edge rushers who are more dynamic than what they had a year ago. Those guys are, I think, to me, I've already, I feel comfortable saying that. I want to see what the secondary looks like when real bullets are flying against some of these pass offenses. And we're going to get a test this week. Um, Obviously they held up really, really well against Hawaii. The linebackers, I'm getting close to feeling comfortable with saying that, but maybe that's just coming off the high of this last weekend, which to me felt like, I don't know if you guys agree with this or not, but maybe the best linebacker performance we've seen uh, since Dan Landing has been here, just just across the board. I thought they were really excellent. Um, PFF, would, PFF would tell you that was the case based upon the individual grades there. But I think we, to me, to be able to really confidently say it's better than last year or that it's taken enough improvement to be a playoff contender or, or a conference championship contending defense, to Matt, Matt and Jared's point earlier, let's let's bring on Washington and let's see what they do against Colorado this week before we get too far ahead of ourselves. But I, I'm seeing, like I said, I'm seeing glimpses of what I think is a really good defense. And this last weekend was certainly the most encouraging game so far. Yeah, to, to, to answer the first part of the question, have you seen enough overall improvement? Uh, yeah, of course. I mean, it's night and day. Go watch a game from last year. That's, that's all I ask you. You don't even have to like tell me what, what base nickel defense they're playing in? Are they are they rolling in dime? Like who's out in the? Just go watch a game from last year. The speed on the field is just night and day, and I think that's one of the biggest reasons why. Um, I we all kind of talked about. I talked about this offseason. Like you know, last year, Dan just didn't have the personnel to run his defense. Him and Tosh, and I know I always say refer to Dan as like the DC guy, but it's Tosh. Tosh is the defensive coordinator. They just didn't have the guys to do it. That you watch go like you go watch a Georgia game, you watch them from last year, even when Dan was coaching him, like that defense exploded all over the field. They had guys who could run east to west, north to south, whatever direction you needed to at any given moment on the field. Oregon has that now. And it's slowly developing too. Like there's guys beyond the starters who I think like a Devin Jackson type who fits the mold even better than some of the starters, but just doesn't have the experience. So 
it's a clear night and day difference between this defense. I think that there are games last year that would have been much closer. I think the Texas Tech game, I said earlier on this podcast, after Tech, if this was last year's defense, they lose. It's not last year's defense. It's much better. Now, does that translate into a league championship or playoff team moving forward? Maybe. We'll find out. I think I said at the beginning of the year that for Oregon to be a championship caliber team, um, they needed to just their defense to just make small steps, small improvements. They they don't need to be this 19, uh, 2019 Oregon defense where they were like top ten in so many statistical categories. Um, they were viewed as truly one of the best defenses in the country, and part of that is because it's their offense is just so damn good this season. It's very similar to 2014 with Mark Helfrich when they made the national championship. Um, it very similar to the Chip Kelly years at Oregon, where their offense is so good that they just need to be slightly better than above average, and you will you will make enough stops and your your offense will score enough points that it it won't matter and we're we're seeing that so yeah i think it's better i think um i i think they are playing at a clip as long as the offense continues to play as they do um where they could be in contention for a playoff going into the month of november now i also think the ceiling of this defense is really high and we won't know that though until october when Washington comes when Oregon goes to Washington and then they play Washington state the following week after that. Uh, and then a couple weeks later they play California and then they go, uh, they, uh, no, they go to Utah and then they play USC and then they play Oregon state. Um, there's a couple games in between there, but yeah, <clears throat> the, those are the games where we'll learn if this defense has made the biggest adjustment. Maybe it's this weekend. I don't think it's going to be. I think Oregon's going to have a significant advantage in the trenches, and that's going to make uh, life really hard for Colorado um, on both sides of the football. But I, we'll, we'll get a glimpse of it this week, but I think we'll truly know um, by mid-October, end of October, if, if this defense has made the jumps needed to reach that level. Washington is the barometer game for me. Yes. That was the game last year that, I mean, again, I've said this before. There were parts in the middle of last season where the defense performed pretty well. Like, it wasn't terrible. They played pretty well against UCLA. They played pretty well against BYU at times. They played poorly <laughs> against Washington State, but they had some strong performances mixed in between. They thought they played well against Cal. They played well against Arizona. But, like, the Arizona game, I remember, was when we were going in, like, oh, this is this explosive pass offense, and Jaden Delora gave the ball to Oregon more than he gave it to his guys, and, and Oregon really kind of dominated. It was the Washington game last year where you realized, oh, this is a different animal, and 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 the with a good quarterback, yeah. with a very, with a very good quarterback. And this year, frankly, the conference has more quarterbacks closer to Michael Penix and that kind of player than than it was last year. At least Oregon's facing more. Like Shador is going to be much better than anybody other than Michael Penix and and uh, Caleb Williams. Oregon will face this year, I think. Um, so this weekend's challenge will be interesting, I think, to learn. But to me, the Washington game's the barometer. All right. Fifth one from at Bigfoot8801. With the Media Fest Prime in Colorado coming to town, one of the bigger stories is sure to be Travis Hunter being out for the game. Which secondary does this affect more, Oregon's or Colorado's? Hashtag Ots and Audibles. I assume most listeners are familiar with Hunter. I'll give like the 10-second spiel here. Guy plays both sides of the football. Number one recruit in the country, I think in 2021 or 20, yeah, 2022. Um, first couple of games, this guy was, and honestly, even when he left the game against Colorado State, this guy was playing essentially every snap on both sides of the football, being very productive doing both of it. He was like one of PFF graded him as like a 78 on defense and like a 73 on offense. This is the kind of guy you're talking about, like a very, very good two way player. He was. Took kind of a cheap shot, honestly. It's Colorado State, maybe not kind of. Like kind of. I think it was. I think it was very. That clear was an incredible cheap shot. That was terrible. Okay, I, it was a cheap. Ball shot. bounced twice when he got hit. Um, but he's not playing this week. At least that's what the early indications are, and I think we believe those based upon what that hit looked like. 
So I think this is actually kind of an interesting one. Um, I, to me, my instinct, and I, I think what I believe to be true, is like it's going to affect Colorado secondary more because that removes the player you're going to have blanketing Troy Franklin all day. And that was going to be the matchup I was, frankly, really excited to watch. It was Troy Franklin, who I think is a day two NFL draft pick at receiver. Maybe he can get to be a day one. I think that maybe is a bit of a reach, but I mean, I'm really impressed with what he's seen. He's certainly the best receiver Oregon's had since I've been covering the program. And and frankly, I've been watching Oregon football since I was a little one, and there haven't been many better going against Hunter, who is expected to be a day one draft pick without question, and maybe a top 10, maybe top five pick, depending upon how he develops. I was really excited for that matchup. We don't get that. So that's, to me, that's what I think it affects Colorado secondary more. But it also takes off one of Colorado's most explosive pass catchers, and that obviously doesn't mm-hmm. hurt things for Oregon either. So this is, I mean, this is that weird dynamic when you have a two-way player and he's out, it impacts Colorado more than it would. I mean, it takes his, one of their best 11 offensive players and one of their best 11 defensive players off the field for a game. So it's almost a double whammy injury. Um, but I think it impacts Colorado's secondary just a little bit more. Yeah, I think it definitely impacts their secondary more. Uh, Colorado's defense has not been great this year i'll put it like that so i'm not a bulletin board material uh you know 42 points to or excuse me 35 points to colorado state 42 points to tcu tcu's offense is pretty good but and then nebraska is just uh that's a, a little work in progress to put it lightly on offense um it hasn't been great but travis hunter has been the bright spot and he's been spectacular when he's played um he you know this is a guy like eric said five-star recruit who goes to jackson state don't really get to see a lot of them other than nationally televised game, which is usually a bowl game. And now you see him all the time and he's just a tremendous player, but that Colorado secondary is going to be missing him quite a lot. And I think Oregon will take full advantage of that. Um, Hunter was really good on, on offense. He's a good wide receiver, but he is a better cornerback. And I think it's just pretty simple as that. Like he's an elite cornerback and to eric's point like that troy franklin travis hunter matchup was going to be great um i don't know who was going to win that one but you know carl reed of 24 7 sports their own 24 7 sports he reported that hunter's going to be out three weeks he's going to miss oregon he's going to miss usc and he's going to miss whoever they play three weeks from now two weeks from now um that sucks because i i wanted this to be you know full-on full matchup um you never want to see guys get injured. You never want to see superstars like that get injured because that's what Travis Hunter is going to be. He's going to be a superstar. And uh, But for Colorado, that's a huge, huge loss on defense. This, like, this would have been like Christian Gonzalez going down for four weeks last year for Oregon when they had, in this hypothetical world, when they had uh, Washington and USC on the schedule last year. Like I know that they were on the schedule, but in a hypothetical yeah, right. world, when you have – arguably you know two of the three best teams in the conference on your schedule past friendly teams past happy teams and you lose your top cornerback not only top one of the top cornerbacks in the country that's tough that is a clear loss on their defensive side of the ball and it's a loss on offense but it's none clearer than on the defensive side of the ball uh i will echo jared's uh, comments this is massive for colorado um in almost every major statistical category, Colorado's defense is worse than Hawaii's. And look at what Oregon did to that. Um, Oregon has the depth. I mean, you, they, they could suffer an injury and it wouldn't be like – it would hurt Oregon. But this is – you're taking away their best player defensively probably um, off the field. Now, I will throw one small caveat into this. Uh, he has yet to play, so maybe we, maybe that's a sign in and of itself. But Colorado does have a five-star cornerback freshman, Gormani McLean, um, from last season. 14th best player in the country, the number one cornerback in the country. He has yet to play, but maybe maybe that opens the door for McLean to, to get in and, and play, and we see how well he performs. But this is going to impact Colorado more than it will impact Oregon. Um uh, I, I just, I, I, everything, Colorado's defense is bad. Jared didn't want to be bullet to board material. I will say it. They're, they're, they're bad. They are terrible Uh-oh. in a lot of categories. 
Start um, printing the shirts. <laughs> Bad. Uh, Oregon should have some success. Um, they struggled with the crossing routes. Um, Horton for Colorado State. He's an NFL receiver, but he just absolutely. Oh my God, just, that guy's so good. He absolutely destroyed them. And I think Oregon's got better receivers than him. They've got multiple receivers that are as good, if not better, than Horton. Um, and now they've got to deal with two or three of those guys on the, on the field at the same time. Um, I think Oregon's tight ends are better than Colorado State's. How Oregon, how, how Colorado covers Oregon is going to be a huge key in this game. Um, and I just think it sucks because I wish we could have seen Travis Hunter. He he looks like one of the generational players that comes around every now time again. USC's got Zakiah Branch um, at receiver and kick returner. Um, Travis Hunter was clearly one of the best players in the conference at both receiver and corner. And that's really hard to do. And we won't get to see that play, which absolutely sucks. Does If we're to believe that he doesn't play, which I think is pretty fair. I would be surprised if he does. I would yeah. be surprised. Yeah. All right. It's going to do it for us here on the Ots and Audibles podcast. Thank you for submitting your questions. Uh, this looked like it was going to be a three-hour podcast, but we've got it in under an hour. Look at us. Look at us. Go team. Um, go to duckterritory.com for full coverage leading up to this weekend's game at home uh, against Colorado. A top 20 showdown. I don't know if that's ever happened. Or actually, it has happened. I was there for it as well. Uh, do you know the last time that these two teams have played and they're ranked? Well, it's been in your oh. lifetime. Um, you just gave that away. Uh, I haven't actually done much deep dive into the series, to be honest with you. The last time these two teams were ranked. Oh, was it been in the, Fiesta, the Fiesta Bowl? Yes. Yes. I was eight years old. Or eight years old. I was in eighth grade. Yeah, I, or, I was five. No, I was a freshman in high school. <laughs> Matt was an age. I was an age. Was, I was a freshman in high school. He was alive. So, he was somewhere. 14 or 15, somewhere around there. Well, Oregon won that game by quite a lot. A so lot. We'll see what happens this time around. Yep. All right. It's going to do it for us. You've been listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.